You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Devin, your host for the Portfolio Builders podcast. I'm super excited for our guest today. We have Miss Shannon, who her friends call her Shan, and I'm her friend now. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I'm going to start calling you Shan, and I'm really excited for everything that we are going to dive into today, talking about credit repair. Um, and I'm super excited to hear your perspective on it because you're also a real estate professional. Yes. So I would love to hear a little bit about you know who you are, where you live, um, and how did you how did you get started? Did you start with real estate or the credit repair? Yeah, so true story. Um, so I originally I started way back when in property management and um, you know and growing our family with our third son. I thought that I was going to be taking a, one position and it didn't quite work out that way. So I was laid off Ooh. and I was like, oh boy, what can I do? <laughs> like, I, you know, I waited for a couple months, kind of like people are now, like they're uncertain about their jobs. And I was like, well, what I can do is I can fix credit. I know credit. I was a housing counselor. I did property management. I can fix credit. So it's like, I'm going to start fixing people's credit <laughs> and doing credit counseling. So November, 2014, I started doing that. And then I said, you know what would be even better? if I could help people buy houses. So then I added real estate. Mm, so it was mm-hmm. just like a natural progression to go from property management to being a housing counselor and credit counselor and segueing into my own business when, you know, the opportunities that I thought were going to be there weren't. So mm-hmm. it was really easy to, you know, you have to make, like I tell people all the time, I make a uh, lemon cake, lemon pie, lemon aid out of any type of lemon that you give me. I'm not going to take it laying down, you know, and I didn't. So that's how I ended up starting um, my business. And here we are today, six years later. So it's been six years that you've been doing the credit repair. like specific- Okay. That's yep. cool. That's really cool. Yep. So um, I also was in property management. Okay. Um, I got my real estate, well, I bought a house and flipped it first, and then I got my real estate license, and then I became a property manager, and then started working more with investors. Um, So similar, but totally different tract. And I really, I don't know a ton about credit repair. So what I, you know, that's the part that I want to dive into with you the most. Yes. What do you think are like the most common errors that people make when it comes to starting to repair their credit or what are the most common problems that people need to address? Okay. So the most common errors that people make is they think, or the misconception I'll say is that if I pay off all these collections then my credit score is going to rebound and I'm going to make like some way magically have a 700 credit score. Uh, (laughs) it doesn't necessarily flow that way. Um, it, it all depends on what's on the report, how the report reads. You know, you might be paying something that's not even reporting anymore. One of the biggest things is if I pay off this collection account, then my credit score is going to rebound. And that's not true all the time because you could be paying an account that's not reporting. You could be paying mm-hmm. an account that's old. You could be paying an account to a collection agency that's not even open anymore. Oh, wow. Like legit, right? So you're paying an account, you think it's going to work, and it doesn't. Now, that doesn't mean that paying the account doesn't work. But that's like the most common misconception that we get a lot of. And then the second thing I think that 
if I had to say like, oh my gosh, it's like grinds my, like gets me every time is uh, people are under the idea that if they don't use their credit, then somehow they're going to still maintain a score. And that's not true either. You have to use credit in order to show that you're good at using it so you can continue to get lines of credit and have a good score because your credit score is just a risk score. Gotcha. And I've had that experience where it was a Home Depot card or something and I used it when I was doing renovations on a house okay. and then I didn't use it for a while and they right. cut my limit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not. If I had known that, I would have like bought a Coke with that credit card every <laughs> couple months or something, you know, and paid it off. Um, so I, I didn't know that. Um, now I do. Another question I really want to ask you is what are the most important things to clean up? What are the easiest things to clean up on somebody's credit report that like make actually make a difference? So I know I said, you know, the collections, mm -hmm. <laughs> something that's like, eh. but if the collection is regularly reporting and it's verified and you know that it's true and you've gone through all your steps of, of making sure of that, then I say, you know, go for the collections, you know, as far as a correction thing. And then you want to make sure that, um, you know, a lot of times what will happen is a collection company will buy a debt and they'll add on fees, you know, because they're a collection company, but the report might not show it as such. And when you're dealing with a credit repair company, whether it's mine or whoever, you want to make sure that they practice something that we call factual disputing. And what okay. factual disputing is, is it helps with, the longevity of the repair process. So what it says is, is that we're disputing what we can factually see is incorrect or what you can prove as a consumer is incorrect. You might pay a bill, they say it's $1,000, you have proof it's five. That's a fact, you know? So you, if, you can, if we can prove that and dispute the validity of what's reporting, then that's how that happens. So what credit repair really is, is the correction or allowing for the report to be accurate and true because legally that's your right as a consumer through mm -hmm. the Fair Credit Reporting Act, right? So it says as a consumer, you have the right for your credit report to be accurate and true. You can dispute any unverifiable, any incorrect, any erroneous information. It goes into other detail, but Cliff Notes version. And if it's not true, then you can dispute it and have it corrected. So if the information that we can see by facts isn't true, if you dispute it, then that gives you more of a long-term lasting result as opposed to what some people will say is just to say that it's not mine. Well, that's not true. And then when it comes back around and it's proven that it is, that's how it comes back on your report. And then you're not seeing the results that you're, you might have paid a company to do, or maybe thought, you know, from Google university is going to work. <laughs> now don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that there's not good information out there, <laughs> but it's a little bit, you know, skewed in some instances. So I would say, you know, start with collections, Make sure that you're using your credit card at least once every three to six months, because like you said, if not, then they'll either reduce the limit or they'll close the card because mm -hmm. they make money off of fees. And the, the goal is to get you to revolve that debt so they can make their money. And if they're not, then there's no need in having you there. Right. So yeah. uh, that's one thing, you know, you might even want to look for late payments. Now they're hard to get adjusted sometimes, but if you know that you didn't pay it late and you have proof, go for it, you know, um, a lot of people kind of, he said he had a thousand inquiries and it kind of just reminded me, you know, inquiries stay on your report for two years, but they only have like a lasting impact for like a year. Okay. I'm just curious about a little more detail on that, like lasting impact of a year, but it's on your report for two years. Mm -hmm. So what's, 
What's the difference? So it's like a puppy, right? If you looked at a puppy. So a puppy's a puppy until it's two, right? If it's one, you're like, oh, it's still a puppy. It's cute. But then from like one to two, you're like, you're getting big. But, you know, it's not so much of a problem anymore with you like using the bathroom in the house and stuff like that. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's like that. So for like the first like year is when it's having like an impact on the score and the different things of that nature. But after two years, they fall off. So between that year to two, it's not as much of an issue. Like inquiries also have a shopping period. Like I'm sure you know from the mortgage industry, you can shop a mortgage for like, I think it's 45 days and it's, it's a time frame depends on the type, but you know, you can do that. And then with cars, it's 30 days. So car dealerships are infamous for running your credit like a million times. And it's yeah. because they're trying to find a bank to buy, to, to give you the money or to buy your debt or to, to give you the loan rather. The reason why they have to shop it so much is because there's an issue on the report <laughs> or on the credit. Mm-hmm. So they might run it 15 times in a day. Well, the 15th time won't have any more of an impact than the first time if it's done within that 30 day period. Now, if it falls outside of that, then it's going to hit your score. But other than that, it doesn't. What do you think are like when you're working with somebody who's trying to buy a house, mm-hmm. what what do you think are the most important factors when you look at somebody's, say you pull their credit report to, to start helping them? Um, are there factors on the credit report that are more important in your experience to mortgage lenders versus some other creditors? Yeah. Um, because we specifically specialize in credit challenge, home buyers and sellers, like my business, PCS, Mm -hmm or paying credit services, we specialize in credit challenge home buyers. So we're looking to make sure that the collections that you have don't exceed, you know, $3,000 and that you don't have any collections with any banks because banks are not going to loan good money after bed. Right. That's just a given, you know, right. Uh, we're making sure that, you know, do you have any bankruptcies? Are they after the two year period or three year period, depending on the type of loan that you might be trying to qualify for? You know, are your student loan debts current? They can't be in forbearance while you're trying to qualify for a mortgage, Mm. right? Because Mm -hmm. they're still going to choose. And again, this all falls in within the scope of the type of mortgage that you're going to get. So we always consult with our clients and tell them, look, you're going to need to make a payment or make sure that you have an understanding that they're going to count a specific amount of your payment towards your your DTI, debt to income. Now, I I try to speak in the most basic of terms because I'm not sure who the audience (laughs) is, which debt to income, of course, is the amount of debt that you have compared to your income. So the lower that number is, the more house you can get. Front end is like 31% as a a good, comfortable space, right? But then on your back end, they'll allow you like 45 or more. There's thresholds, okay? Again, every lending type is different. So you want your DTI to be as low as possible so that you can qualify for as much house. So, you know, we're making sure that the student loan debts are current and that they're not in forbearance. Um, we're making sure, you know, medical debts, people think, oh my gosh, I have medical debts, I can't get a house. Not true. You know, oh, I have $50,000 worth of student loan debt, I can't get a house. Not true. I know a lender that got somebody free with $174,000 worth of student loan debt. Wow. Right. Um, the biggest thing is making sure that you don't have any late payments within the past year, right? It can, yeah. it can be done in less than that time, but to put you in the most optimal position, within the past 12 months. Uh, You want to make sure that 
you don't have, uh, like for instance, you might have a person who at one time maybe considered a bankruptcy and then changed their mind and didn't go through with it. You want to make sure that that's not there, you know, right. because things can happen. So we're looking to make sure that all judgments are, you know, paid or closed, collections are paid or closed, and that you're current on all your open lines of credit and that you're not maxing out your cards because your utilization is one of the largest parts of your FICO score. And if you're maxing out your cards or close to maxing them out, then your score will take a, a dive. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious some of your thoughts. So a lot of our audience are, they're real estate investors mm-hmm. and they're, they're buying they're buying turnkey properties, buy and hold strategy, a lot of them, not all, but that's a, you know, a large portion of our audience. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are, you know, they're high income earners, Mm -hmm. whether they're, if they're self-employed or high income earning W2s, um, what kinds of things can those borrowers do when say they're getting close to maybe maxing their DTI for a conventional loan because that now they have all these rental properties. Mm-hmm. They're trying to buy as many houses as possible. Their credit's getting pulled. Um, you know, they now have the debt of these mortgages. So that's the kind of individual that, you know, they don't necessarily have bad credit, like mispayments and stuff like that, but they need to keep their credit score and credit report as clean as possible. Mm-hmm. so that they can continue to buy properties. If you were consulting a client like that, what are some of the steps that you would suggest they, they take to up their score if they could? So if a person's score is close, like, so I have a, a, a class, for instance, that I do called 30 for 30, right? Which is where we help you learn how you can boost your score 30 points in 30 days, okay. right? So it's going to be slightly different if you reading a credit report is still going to be reading a credit report (laughs) like a credit report doesn't change if you're trying to buy a car if you're trying to buy a house or if you're trying to um just improve your score the breakdown of it's the same because the fico says we're looking at utilization we're looking at payment history we're looking at new lines of credit we're looking at uh you know uh your ability to pay as well as just the whole profile so Mm -hmm. it's making sure that you're one, paying your bills on time, that you don't have any late pays, right? Because that's the majority of your score, okay? You want to make sure that, again, even if, let's say you have to, like you used the example a while ago, uh, you had to go to Home Depot and you had to use the card. Let's say that for some reason it was maxed out because you just did a project. Mm-hmm. As soon as you can pay it down at least like 5 to 10%. You know what I mean? You'll have those small boosts. Some people are like, well, I don't have a lot of credit lines. Okay, well, what some people will do, because we're almost always going to like buy a car or do something small, you know, you might be able to pay cash $20,000 for a car, which is fine, but maybe just finance the 5000 just so you can have a line of credit reporting. Ideally, you want three to four lines of credit reporting at all times, three to five, you know, because that's going to give you a thicker profile. Anything less than that's what we call thin. And then you don't want to go too far with the outliers where you have like 20, 25 lines of credit because then you're like, uh, unless of course you have the income to sustain it. Right. So you're going to want at least to have three to five lines of credit. You're going to make sure you're paying your bills on time, making sure that you keep your revolving balances around at least below 30, but between five and 10 is the goal. Okay. Uh, you're going to want to make sure you're doing that. And then the next part is going to be making sure that you always have at least that many lines. So if you know that something's about to close out, 
you'll want to keep it going. And then you have to be diversified in that. So it's just like anybody else. If you're an investor, they say diversify your portfolio. You know, you want to have stocks and bonds and real estate and, you know, all these different savings plans and all these different things. It's the same thing with credit. So you're not just going to want to have revolving credit, but you're also going to want to have installment loans, right? You might also want to have um, store cards and just a, a variety of things to show that you can handle different types of debt. So the, the more that you can show those things for the longer period of time, the better off you are. The average person isn't signing up for 10 different credit cards, you know, within a year, like right. one or two, you know, because other than that, you're building the history. And if you've been with a company long enough, especially if you know that you want to up your credit um, limit. And this is um, something that was shared uh, with me from an investor um, that I took a class with, his name is Marcus Blandon. He said, you know, when you're getting to the point where you want to increase your credit score or your card limit, what you do is you'll run it up. <laughs> like you run it and then pay it down, right? Oh, and then you okay. run it and then pay it down and then run it again, maybe for like a third month and then pay it down to like the 5%. And then you say, hey, look, you call into your company, you say, listen, I need for you to increase my credit limit. I've right. run the card up, I've paid it off every month, I've done this for the past, you know, 60, 90 days. I'm ready for you to increase my limit and nine times out of 10, they will because you've showed that you can run it and pay it back down to that 5%. So you're creating the, the history and the strategy for it to show what it needs to show so that you can pull on it when you need to. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. A hundred percent. I'm, <clears throat> I just called some folks the other day and asked them if they would be willing to raise my limit. Uh, <laughs> do you, so when you call to ask for that raise, for example, I asked them on the phone, do you do a hard or a soft pull? Because right. I knew like I'm in the process right now of buying some investment property. Nice. So I'm trying to like not mess anything up. Right. You know? um, do you think like inquiries, what kind of an impact do they make? And somebody like my boss who just came in here, who <laughs> literally like we, you know, his credit has been pulled a few times uh, right. for, for some of the things <laughs> that we do. Um, yeah. What can somebody in that position do? Is there any way to get those removed or what increase? Yeah, sure. As long as you didn't get a line of credit because of it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so there's, okay. there's different things that you learn in the industry. Like, you know, as a person who does it every day, there's things that I know that I'm like, okay, if, if we dispute an inquiry that opened up a line, then that's not proper because what it'll do is it can close the line and mm. then it beats the purpose. Right. So you're not going to dispute any inquiry that actually resulted in an extension of credit. Um, the next thing is, is the difference, the biggest difference, and I'm sorry, I'm making notes here so I can make sure I don't forget anything. The biggest difference in the thing with a hard pull and a soft pull, I'm sorry, is a hard pull is typically going to come as a result of an extension of money. You know what I mean? If I'm extending you money, if there's some sort of like collateral or something involved, so that's going to be like your mortgages, your lines of credit, your credit cards or revolving debt, your student loans and things like that. Your soft pulls are going to be things like you might do every day, like for people who use Credit Karma, which is Vantage score, which is different from FICO score. Or um, if your credit card company offers you your credit, excuse me, your credit score every month or as often as they feel, it's typically a Vantage score. It's not a FICO score, so you're not gonna see them match. That's gonna be a soft pull. Um, when the insurance company 
runs your score, that's going to be a soft pull. Some rental companies are not doing a hardcore pull. You know what I mean? They're just doing a soft pull and they're, they're evaluating, well, you know, from property management, we're evaluating slightly different things. We're more so concerned about evictions, yeah. <laughs> you know, than anything yes. else. So <laughs> your hard pull is going to come from an extension or line of credit where your soft pull is just going to come as a, well, let me see what type of person this is. Gotcha. So that's, that's the one thing that I would say there uh, with that. Um, I'm really curious, what's the difference between the FICO and the Vantage score? Sure. So, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before, and it always kind of makes me chuckle a bit. So people say, uh, credit karma scores are fake. No, they're not fake. It's just a different score model. So FICO scoring, of course, is from Fair Isaac Corp. It's been around since like the 80s. It's a third-party provider of credit scores for the big three, which would be TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Well, what TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian said in the early 2000s was, we're not going to keep doing this. <laughs> we have the information. We are the providers of the details of the information. They furnish, you know, they furnish the information. We are going to create our own score model. So they created Vantage Score. So Vantage Score uh, has a slightly different breakdown than FICO. So they just, it's basically the same, but they care more about what you're doing today as opposed to what you did five years ago. Where FICO is more looking at the longevity of what you've done as opposed to the newness of what you've done. Now, FICO score and Vantage score, and there's other score models too, um, but what they do is they're gonna gauge, so they have different product levels. So you might have FICO 2, 3, 4, Ultra, 8, you know, 10, which is what they're doing now. Uh, and then you have Vantage, like three and four, right? And you have other versions of it too. So as they change, it's just a product. So as they change it, they change the way that it goes. And um, it's just a matter of knowing, one, like I tell people, when you're going to repair your credit, it makes sense to use the scoring model that they're going to use to qualify you for the line that you're trying to get or for whatever it is. So yeah. if you're repairing your credit, you most definitely want to look at your FICO score. Don't look at Credit Karma, <laughs> you know, or the minor chain that they're providing you with most credit cards. Now, you'll know because it'll say, like underneath of it, it'll kind of say, or like in the terms of user privacy, this is Vantage or this is FICO, whatever. Um, for me, I tell people use my score IQ. Uh, they are FICO, where Identity IQ is Vantage or Credit Karma is Vantage. I think score, credit check total. I think is also FICO. So there's different ones. And you'll want to repair and view based off the FICO model. So that way you know that what you're doing and what you see is more likely to be what you're, the person who's going to extend your line of credit is going to say. Gotcha. So, and um, mortgages, they're going to look at the FICO, right? Mm -hmm. Does anybody look at the other score? Does anybody look at the Vantage score? So on average, I'll tell people, you might have some credit card companies. Some There was a thing back in uh, 2018 that they were supposed to start using Vantage scoring with like Fannie and Freddie. Didn't quite see that happen. Haven't okay. seen it happen yet. Um, but I'm not going to say that there aren't any, but a majority are still using FICO. Okay. Is there... Is there a huge discrepancy in the numbers between those two? That so, you notice? That you notice? <laughs> I've seen sometimes 20 points, 30 points, and it just, it can swing either way. Usually, I mean, that's a lot. 
Yeah, it is. Usually the venture score will be higher okay. than your FICO. However, I've seen it, you know, work. It just really depends. There's no way of telling. It's, it's the algorithms. You know, it's kind of like how I don't know if you've ever heard people say with Facebook and Instagram, they're changing the algorithm. It's the same with the FICOs and the different score models. There is a, a engineer who created an algorithm that says this is what we want to put in and spit out based off this particular series of this model. So it's, it's just, you never know. <laughs> all, you, all we can do, and like I tell people, we're going to dispute the data. If the data that's reporting on the report is accurate, then everything else should follow suit. And then from making sure that the data is correct, then we will counsel you and do the make sure that you have a plan, an action plan to fulfill the need of what you're trying to do. So we're going to be looking at it and saying, okay, do we have the three to five lines of credit? Okay, are they diversified? Is it all revolving? Is it all installment? Or do we have a nice combination of the few? You know, uh, do can we prove that you're good at, you know, paying installment loans just like you are if you use a credit card without maxing it out? So we're looking for certain things as credit repair people, <laughs> you know, yeah. to make okay. And then I also look at it from a counselor's eye because I'm also a certified credit counselor. So, yeah. Okay. So what is the difference? A certified credit counselor, what is, what are those duties it's in comparison to credit repair? Yeah. Okay. So with credit repair, it's the accuracy, making sure that the credit report is true, right? Most consumers, when they hear credit repair, they're like, oh, they're going to fix my credit and my score is going to be up here, right? Let's be clear. Credit repair and credit building are two different phases that mm -hmm. often work together to create the umbrella of what people would call credit repair, right? Well, That's what credit counselors are doing is we're more so looking at the I don't want to say the psychology because it's not like psychology like as a degree, but we're looking at the whys. We're kind of making sure that we're focusing on the budget. So we're also including the financial literacy piece. So do That's you know right. how to budget and save? You know, are you preparing your budget and are you preparing your information so that you're able to not just purchase a home but be able to maintain it? Right. It doesn't matter to me that you can buy it if you can't keep it. Okay, yeah, you bought a car. Will you have it next year? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, are you overextending yourself on your debt? You know, where somebody who's just looking at credit repair, they might be like, okay, we got you a $10,000 line of credit. Great. But if you have a person who's coming to you where you got them a $10,000 line of credit, do they have the, no the wherewithal and the know-how to make sure that they're using it properly long-term? That's what credit repair says. Credit repair. No, I'm sorry. Credit counseling. Credit repair says, let's get you the $10,000 line of credit. Because you need it to diversify your credit report so we can gotcha. get you where we need it to be, right? So when you combine it together, you get me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or companies who might do the same thing, you know, because every, uh, and this is with any market, you know, anybody's going to have a niche. And mine is that. Gotcha. That's awesome. I might want to pick your brain some to offline about a couple things. Okay. I, so we work with investors. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them you know, they, they fall into a couple of different buckets. If they are newer entrepreneurs, yeah. they're 1099s, right. maybe they have decent credit, but they don't have a lot of income history. You know, they're looking for one kind of loan. Maybe we're looking for a, a commercial loan or a loan with like a private equity firm. Mm -hmm. And then I have some other people that, you know, they've got the good looking tax returns um, their credit scores are maybe a little lower mm -hmm. because they're highly leveraged. 
looking for investment loans. Have you worked with any individuals like that before buying investment property with some of the lenders that you're, that you've been working with? Uh, I don't get as many investors. I'm starting to feel a swing, if that makes sense. I'm getting a okay. swing in the pendulum where it used to be, okay, I want to be a home buyer. Now we're looking at people who are like, I want a house hack. Gotcha. <laughs> because they're becoming more savvy and educated. Because one thing about the internet and with the generation, like X, millennial, Ys, the thing is, is, I, and I think maybe, I'm not sure if the Z's are out there doing anything yet, but the thing is, is I think they're like way, way down. I think they might be in high school right now, maybe coming out. But the thing is, is they're becoming more savvy. The internet is educating people in a way mm -hmm. to they're starting to have an idea of things. You know, um, a lot of the people who were in elementary school or high school, when the housing bubble happened in 2008, they're becoming homebuyers now. Gotcha. So they remember what they saw their parents go through and they're like, I don't want to do that which is why you're having the increase of like the tiny homes or the people who are like, I'm going to buy the uh, multifamily unit, maybe four units and I'm going to live in one and I want somebody else to rent this from me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Their thought process is different. And then for those, they still qualify for like your traditional FHA. Right. Traditional mortgage because they're living within it as their primary residence. Yeah. So, but that's specific to my niche. Now I imagine within the next year, I'm going to start seeing more of it. Because, and this is, you know, a conversation that I think people aren't really having all that much is <clears throat> with COVID, a lot of companies or a lot of people are like, I don't want to do it anymore because the COVID restrictions, I can't evict people. I'm not making my money like I thought. I'm ready to, to jump out of investments, right? So then you have people who are new to investments are like, well, I'm trying to get my credit together so I can become an investor <laughs> because mm -hmm. if they're unloading it, I'm trying to pick it up if you feel like that you have to use credit that way right? to do it. So it just depends on what your leverage point is. For me, I don't see it as often, but I, I'd imagine in the next year, I'll see a lot more of it. Right on, cool. So when you, when you take on a client that wants your help with their credit, um, is the, what's the first step for them? So for them is for us is to schedule a consultation. Now some companies' consultations are different. So for us, what we do is we actually sit and I want to make sure I'm answering the correct question. You said when a person's coming to me for credit, what's the first thing that we do? Yeah, exactly. I'm curious what the, what the steps look like. And also, how long does, does it take to see? I know you said you have a class for 30 days. Um, so I can't, I don't tell people, hey, it's going to take two days or whatever it is. Okay, so the thing is, is what we do for our company is we do a consultation. And our consultation is not free because what we're doing is we're actually getting a copy of the credit report and we're going through it line by line with the consumer. Mm -hmm. So we're asking, what are your goals? That's important because right, right. the goal of a person who might want to purchase a home that has no money, that has money down, right. or has a bankruptcy is going to be different from the goal of a person who has no money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Reason being is you can buy a house a year after a bankruptcy if you have 30% saved. So all I have to do is just some basic things. But if you don't have any money saved, then I need to put you on a plan for at least like a year. And I have to be honest with you, like if you're trying to move in three months and your credit's shot and you don't have 12 months positive payment history, then I need to see that. I don't want to set an unreal expectation. Yeah. So it's my, for us, we're focused on results based on the consumer's goal. So we're going to do a line by line review. And in that time, 
We also provide them with the top three issues that we see, like, or areas of improvement, as I like to call it, because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> right. And then uh, we provide them with the top three areas of improvement and then the action plan to, to do that or what we think the best solution is. If they choose to move forward with us, then we'll go ahead and we will start to provide them with like information on what they need to do. So for our program, we do everything for them. So we'll analyze and dispute the report. Um, we'll ask them what accounts on their side that they know are incorrect based off of what we saw because we provide them with like a PDF that says so. And right. they can tell us and we do the, you know, the interview, what did you see? And then we start to um, send in the letters and do the disputing piece. Um, from there, that usually takes about 30, 35 days until CARES Act happened. When the CARES Act happened, what it said was, what was included that a lot of people didn't notice beyond the stimulus package packet <laughs> was it allowed the credit bureaus 15 more days to review the information that was there. So originally it was 30 days, then they get an additional 15. Well, now it's 45 days and they get an additional 15, which is putting us at a two month span of time for them to have the ability to report that's not fair <laughs> to be clear it's not wow. fair because if you're getting the information from the same collection company or if i'm a collector and let's say i'm abc collection company and i'm providing transient experience and equifax with the same information there is no reason why it should report differently right it's not right which is why focra which is fair credit reporting act is there so it shouldn't require you 60 days to know if I'm telling you that what you're reporting is inaccurate, you should be able to see. But that's the difference between it being a computer that's reading the information and an actual human being. So it's, it's like, okay, so there's that. Okay, which clearly, <laughs> clearly <laughs> bothers me. Get on your soapbox, Right, and I was on it too, hard. <laughs> no, I like it. So they get, get, get that time, right? Mm-hmm. They get that time, they get the extra time. And it's like, okay. So in a, in a regular world, they have 30 days. So you can usually expect to see things within between 35, 40 days. And then according to what comes back, we would again respond accordingly. Now they can do it themselves, but people pay us because we do it every day. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Um, so like for us, we're licensed, bonded and registered in our state. Well, there are certain things you just have to maintain and, and we do that here. So we'll do that. And then we also focus on the credit building piece for us. We also allow like a monthly check-in so the client's not feeling alone. So they'll get a call from our, um, processing department. They'll get a call from our customer service. So processing, make sure that they understand what's going on with their file. Um, right. Also came in, uh, customer service, make sure that you know, they're happy because if your people aren't happy and if they're not seeing, you know, the information, then why are you doing it? <laughs> you know, money's yeah. nice, but you want people to be happy with what they're getting. And then I also um, provide a monthly check-in depending on the levels of plan that they have uh, so that they get the counseling piece to understand what they need to do to make sure that everything else is flowing well. So we like to look at it as a more holistic approach. Mm -hmm. not just let us send off letters for you and say everything's not yours we want you to come in because our our brand promises we're going to educate you we're going to be honest and we're going to keep it ethical and sometimes in educating you with honesty it doesn't feel good but we want you to know <laughs> that's 
it's kind of a company policy around here too. Educating with you, educating you with honesty doesn't always feel good. I may post that on my Instagram later. Um, another, another question I wanted to ask you. So people that are listening or watching that want to get in touch with you, I want to make sure they can get in touch with you. And also your course, because I know your service you do, is that just in the state that you're in? Is that um, yeah, so for the most, it just varies. There are certain um, rules or regulations that vary from state to state. So okay. when a person calls us, we would just let them know. Like we, it would be a part of our like pre qualifiers through our um, consultation. Like we have an intake form that would gotcha. make the determination. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And then the course does that apply to just anybody? And is that like a DIY thing? If somebody wanted to kind of go at it on their own, would that course teach them what they needed to do? So what we do is because we understand that. Again, this is a consumer from a consumer. They're like, oh, if something's wrong with my credit. I must need credit repair. No. <laughs> so when we do that, we're, we're saying this is what you need to do instead. So we do have okay. different courses, both DIY and um, like coach-based courses to help clients who desire home ownership so that we can make sure that they have a better understanding of how to manage their credit and finances to ob obtain the goal. So for our done-for-you services, that's going to be patent credit services where we, again, specialize in helping home buyers become mortgage ready by educating them on their credit and finances. So that's a done for you service. Okay. Um, typically most people three to six months, you know, and, and we're getting them moved through. Then as far as our DIY programs, we have eBooks that start, you know, with something as simple as how to fix my credit, or you can do the, I need to buy a house bundle, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So that's more for like our affordable consumer because everybody's not, you know, everybody. Now, yeah. Right? Not everybody yeah. needs the same fix. Cool. Right. So, um, for folks that are either watching this live or listening to the recast later, if they want to get access to more of that information, um, is it easiest to visit your website, Facebook? How should they reach out to you? Actually, they can just visit my website at thecreditrealtor.com slash home. And that'll show, uh, our consultation links and whatever classes we're offering at that moment to be able to assist people. Cool. Awesome. Yep. Look, Shannon, I've had so much fun. Well, Shan, cause I'm your, I'm your home girl now. So I get to call you that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've learned a lot today. I didn't know, I didn't know there were, I knew there were different things with the FICO and the Vantage, but I didn't know that each one of those then also had like four or eight or 10 products. Yeah. They're all different. Like that's way more complicated than the number that I, <laughs> that I um, so thank you so much for jumping on and sharing all of that with us. And, um, I'm really excited to hear from you say 12 months from now, what changes you notice as a result of COVID and any market shift with investors versus owner occupants in your business. Absolutely. I'd love to have you on again in the future and, and talk about what's changed over I'd love to be back. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening or watching everybody. Um, it's been a blast. It, and of course, if you are interested in any more information about uh, turnkey real estate investing, I'm easy to find wealthcapholdings.com backslash waitlist. We'll take you to my calendar and I'm happy to walk you through. And if your credit uh, is not awesome, then I'll send you over to Shan and we'll <laughs> get you fixed up. Yes, we will. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started. 
by visiting wealthcapholdings.com/book. That's wealthcapholdings.com/book.